to two places, uh, 2 Peter chapter 2 and John chapter 6. We're, uh, we're going to look at a lot of Bible verses, as is our way, as many of you are aware. 2 Peter chapter 2 and John chapter 6, and then we'll get to John chapter 12. So we are going through John, but just a couple of different points to start from today. Um, 2 Peter chapter 2 is where we'll start, and then John chapter 6 in your other hand. And if you can't keep up with me, just listen along, that works too. Uh, everything's recorded, so you can go back and put me on slow-mo, and you can hear what I say because I talk too fast. But um, there, is a, there is a teaching out there, and we've, uh, we've run up against it a lot, and, and you will run up against it, but there is a teaching out there that is spreading through churches like cancer, all right? And uh, I don't say that word flippantly anymore. Uh, it is the insidious idea that Jesus Christ did not die for all men. It is the unbiblical dogma that Christ's atonement was somehow limited to some special group. And in 2 Peter chapter 2, the Lord said, it's so dangerous, I'm going to warn you about it in the Bible. It's right there in 2 Peter 2, in verse number 1. The Bible says, But there were false prophets also among the people, speaking of Israel's past, even as there shall be false teachers among you, right? Not unbelievers, but people mingled in among your midst, among you uh, who privily or sneakily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction. He says, this thing out there, guys, is sneaky. It comes in the back door privily or privately or covertly. And it's not just a difference of opinion. It's not just an idea that somebody has or a nuance on the Bible. He says it's damnable. It's able to send people to hell. It's a heresy meaning it's a foundational truth that is so wrong, God says, stay away from it. And I'll show you the proof text right now. You want to sh- I'll show you John chapter 6. Here's one of their big money verses right here. John chapter 6. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse number 44. <clears throat> the Bible says, Jesus Christ is speaking, so you might have those words in red, I don't know. Jesus said, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And this is what these people will say to you. They'll say, see, Pat, all men can't get saved. Jesus didn't die for all men. Only the men God chose. Only the men God, here's the word, elected to draw. Those are the ones that can come to the Father. Has anybody ever heard that before? It's out there. It's out there. But you know what? Go to John chapter 12. Because you know what? The book of John doesn't end in chapter (laughs) 6. So let's go to John chapter 12. And if you're going to learn your Bible, my dear Bible student, the God of the Bible deals in progressive revelation. (laughs) All right? Uh, And the Bible, the book of John, doesn't end in John chapter 6. There's a chapter 7, and then a chapter 8, and a chapter 9, and you can keep going with me, 10, 11, and then chapter 12. And as things progress, 
in God's plan. You know what the Lord does? The Lord reveals more light. The Lord reveals more truth. For example, way back in Abraham's day, you know who they knew was up there? God. (laughs) They just knew him as God, Jehovah, God. And then you know what God did? He adopted a nation. And then then people started to know him as Father. Okay, he's a father. Okay, I learned a little more about God. He's not just God, he's Father God. And you know what happened? A little more time passed, and he came in the flesh and died for our sins, and he revealed himself as Christ. God, Father, Christ. You know what that is? That's progress. That's progressive revelation. That's God showing you more of himself as his plan unfolds and time goes on. So John chapter 6 is important, yes, but John chapter 12 is a little more light. And in John chapter 12, verse 31, Jesus is speaking again, and look what he says. Now is the judgment of this world. He's speaking about his death. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Here it is, ready? And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, speaking about his death, will draw all men unto me. (laughs) This he said signifying what death he should die. He says, I know I said that in John chapter 6, but I'm going to die on the cross. And since the cross, God's been drawing all men to Jesus Christ. That's progress. (laughs) That's progressive revelation. And Jesus Christ was lifted up to die. We sang about it this morning, amen? His cross. And if Jesus Christ was lifted up to die on the cross, can I tell you, Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men. And that's what I want to talk about today, the Savior of all men. And if you're sitting here today, he's your Savior, whether you've called upon him or not. If you are saved, he's your Savior. He's the Savior of all men. And that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's pray and we'll jump into our Bibles. Lord, we love you today, Lord. We thank you for so great salvation, Father. Thank you that you are the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. And I pray, Lord, you'd add some believers today, Father. You might be more special to someone, Father, either at the fair or in our assembly. Lord, let your saints learn the truth and be insulated against the lies of this world. Not just head knowledge, Father. Give us some heart knowledge, Lord. Give us some heart-provoking to just see how wonderful you are and what your plan really is for these people, Father. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so first point I want to say is this, and I'm going to say it probably three times so we get it through our thick stunad heads, right? The God of the Bible, not the God of YouTube, and not the God of the guy that holds up a Bible but doesn't really believe it. The God of the Bible wants all men to be saved. Can I get an amen there? Right? Help me out. That was weak. You sounded like you're waffling on me, right? The God of the Bible wants all men to be saved, okay? All men. All right, now look at verse 32. Let's read it again. Let's make sure I'm not trying to hoodwink anybody. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw. What's the next two words? Oh, say it like you mean it. Right, all men unto me, right? That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross, right? He died for the sins of 
all men. He died to save all men. That's our great Savior we're talking about and we're singing about. Look at John 1.29. Go to John 1.29. Look at this. Go to John 1.29. Right? Go to John 1.29. All right? John 1.29. This is John the Baptist's declaration. Look at John 20. John the Baptist knew. John 1, 29. He says there, right there. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the... What's the Bible say? Again, one more time. Right? Taketh away the sin of the world. Question. Whose sin did the Lamb of God fail to pay for on the cross? It's my Bible says, He taketh away the sin of the world. Hey, if you're carrying your sin still, you're not supposed to carry your sin. You're not supposed to pay for your sin. The Lamb of God paid for your sin. Why are you paying for what God said is a gift I already paid for? Right? Look at John chapter 3. Let's look at the most famous verse in the Bible. John 3, 16. John 3, 16. You say, Pat, you're going to get on a thing. I'm going to get on a thing. I'm going to throw a fit today. John chapter 3. And if you're not used to Bible preaching... I don't know, next week the, the missionary will be very dignified, all right? John 3.16, I'll just throw a fit. John 3.16, for God so loved, what's the next words? The world. the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Can you look at that verse and somebody, I know you're smart, tell me, who is excluded from God's love on the cross? It says God so loved the world. God so loved everybody. That includes you, sir, and that includes you, ma'am. If you're living today, you're a part of the world. And God so loved the world that he gave his... Now, that didn't become powerful to me till I realized God so loved Pat Mishanya. All right? I know Christ died for the world. I repeated it every Sunday as a creed in church when I was a kid. But when I got saved, I realized God so loved me. He loved me and gave himself for me. And that's when God connects the wires and the lights come on when you realize, whoa, God did that for me. God did that for you. I remember being an altar boy. And I, you know, I'm not hating on an altar boy. I was one. I walking in there and there was this giant cross in the church where I grew up. And I used to, and I've told this story before, you'd walk behind this, the altar to get to the other side of the altar, and then you found out the chicken was crossing the road, but you got over there. Sorry, I'm talking about going to the other side. And uh, I used to flick the nails on the crucifix. I used to, like, play with them, you know? I used to just see these giant, right, right, right down there in Great Kills, St. Clair's. I used to walk in there. I used to walk through there. I used to flick the nails on Jesus' feet. Like, it was a joke to me. It was a game. It was just a, a big thing of stone. But can I tell you, the night I got that Operation Jerusalem packet, can I tell you something? That thing that I had stared at for 20 years as a kid suddenly became very real to me. That that was a man on that cross. And those nails went through bone and flesh and got stuck in some wood. And I don't know, the Holy Spirit just went whoom and just impressed upon me that that wasn't just an edifice or just an object or an ideology. That was me in the skin dying on that cross. Not for the world, but for you, Pat. That's got to that's come down to hit you, folks. Go to 1 John chapter 2. Hey, let's see. Was Calvary only for a chosen few? Let's see. Let's see what the Bible says. Was Calvary only for a chosen few? Let's go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Let's look at verse 1. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. Look at verse 1. My little children, 
These things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ wants to be your defense attorney today. All right? He wants to take your case and get you acquitted in the courtroom of God. He's never lost a case. He'll take your case, and if he died for your sins, he'll make sure you get through. And it says right there in verse 2, and he is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is... The thing that appeases the wrath of God, right? The, the payment for sin that pacifies God's wrath towards you, you dirty sinner. Good morning. Good to see you, right? But God's got wrath towards sinners, and God says you need to have that wrath propitiated, and Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world, all right? It couldn't be any clearer when Jesus Christ died on the cross. He died for the sins of the world. That means he died for everybody's sins. Not just you find people sitting in the church house this morning, but the people that don't know God, the people that mocked his cross, the people that were jeering on Golgotha's hill. Your Savior took their sins upon his back as well. You know what that is? That's a great, great Savior. That is an amazing Savior right there. You and I need to get more impressed with that God-man, Jesus Christ. He's better than Michael Jordan. He's more exciting than, you know, whoever, Aaron Judge. This guy has got to really rock your world to make you realize, whoa, this is somebody serious we're talking about here. This isn't a joke. D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody said this, and I want you just to visualize what D.L. Moody said one time. He said, look at him. At Gethsemane, sweating as it were great drops of blood. Look at him on the cross, crucified between two thieves. Hear that piercing cry, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And as you look into that face, as you look into those wounds on his feet or his hands, will you say he has not the power to save you? Will you say he has not the power to redeem you? Brother, when he said it is finished, he meant it is finished for everybody. That salvation is available. Let's go to Acts chapter 17. Let's look a little more. Let's see if I'm just blowing smoke here. Acts chapter 17. Let's look at verse 22. You know what the problem is? Sometimes the Bible's too plain for people. They like to, they like to dance in the dark. They like to find little spots where they can like, you know, manipulate the verses, but the Bible has enough light to shine. Let's look at the Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Paul is preaching to some philosophers, some smart guys, right? These are the guys I used to go to school with, right? These are the, you know, the real bigwigs, you know, with the fancy words, you know. They talk about their words together. Some of you didn't, some of you see, I'm from academia, right? I live there. Monday to Friday, I live there. And I've sat in the rooms where they just talk about the big words and everybody tries to out big word the next big worder, you know. And sometimes I want to scream. I've told my wife, when I start sounding like that, shoot me and make glue out of me because at least I'd be useful like a horse that lost its leg or something like that. Because they just sit there and want to hear themselves talk. The Bible just comes in like a knife. Wham! And just cuts it. It just cuts through. It just shines like a spotlight in the darkness. And the roaches can't stand it. They scatter and run back under the oven. Right? Look at the Acts chapter 17, 22. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill. He couldn't take it anymore. He's listening to them just pontificate about all their big words and their, you know, all their fancy phrases and said, ye men of Athens, 
I perceive that in all things you're too superstitious. <laughs> I love it. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. I remember sitting in philosophy classes, and this guy would give his idea, and that guy would give his idea, and she would give her idea, and now it gives its idea, and everybody's given an idea. Does anybody know for sure? Oh, no, no. None of us know for sure. Let's go have coffee. Let's go to Starbucks. What? Nobody knows for sure? And I'm paying you $1,000 a credit to give me your opinions? I'm sorry. You know what the Bible says? Paul steps up and says, you guys are, he's laughing, I think. You guys are blowing a little smoke here. Let me just tell you the truth. Whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, let me tell you about him, right? And now he starts to tell him. God that made the world. And all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands. Neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. Why? Why did God put you where you are, when you are? You know, God put people where they are, when they are, for a reason. God set some people over here, said, you stay there. You put some people over here, you stay there. He set the bounds of their habitation. He kind of divided the nations up. Why did he do that? Why did God lay the world out like this? Look at verse number 27, that they, all nations, should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. God says, I set everything up so that anybody who's looking for me could find me if they want me. That's what your God is because he's the savior of all men, right? You say, what about the guy in the bush? The guy in the bush has enough light that he could find God if he wants him. What about the guy who's steeped in religion over there in the Middle East, never heard about Jesus? If he wants the truth, God will get him the truth. God says, I've set everybody up, and if they seek after me, like walking into a dark room and looking for the light switch, if they're looking for the light, God will give them enough light to get them to Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says, and that's what's true all over the world. You see it. For in him we live and move and have our being. You're not an accident, okay? You're not an evolutionary burp. You're not a tadpole that grew legs or something like that, right? All that stuff is just nonsense to the umph degree, right? For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also are his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead, that's the Trinity, is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance, because there was a time when you worship your own ideas, You worship the God that you created, right? And back then they were setting up their altars and they thought they were worshiping God the way they thought God was. And God says, he gave you a pass. He winked, he blinked, he turned a blind eye to your foolishness. But it says, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You see, folks, because the debt has been paid for all men, God now commands all men to repent. I mean, all men to repent. Repent means turn around. 
It means change your mind about a matter. That's what repent means. Go to chapter 20 of Acts. Let me show you Paul. He's going to be talking to his buddies from Ephesus, and he's going to tell them what his whole ministry was about. Go to Acts chapter 20. I got to hurry here. I'm going to be here all afternoon. All right, Acts chapter 20, verse number 17. Paul is, uh, he's, he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem. He knows he's probably going to get arrested. So he brings all the elders from Ephesus and they come down uh, to talk to him. And it says in verse 17, and from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, you know from the first day that I came into Asia after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. Serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. And now I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but I've showed you and I've taught you publicly and from house to house. He's like, guys, you know my ministry, you know what I've been teaching, and he gives them the little recap in verse 21. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul preached that sinners everywhere, Jews, Greeks, people that knew the law, people that didn't know the law. He said, all you guys need to repent. You need to change your mind about God and get saved. That's what he's saying. You need to change. You need to repent. You need to change your mind about Jesus Christ, about God, and trust the Lord for salvation. That's what he said. That's what he's preaching. That's what he's telling was the recap of his whole ministry. Listen, if you're a drunk... If you're an addict, right? You know what you need to do to get right? You know what you need to do? You must first repent. You must first come to the place like, wow, this stuff is killing me. This stuff is messing me up. This stuff is going to drag my life down, ruin my family. You've got to get a change of mind about what you've been doing and then go get help. Right, that's how you get help when you're dealing with problems like that. Well, look at verse number 21. Paul's saying the same thing about our sin. Paul is provoking everyone to acknowledge their problem before God. That's repentance and get saved. Get the help. That's the faith in Christ, right? You got to, hey man, if you're going to get saved at some point, you got to realize, I'm going to hell. <laughs> I'm lost. I'm, I've sinned against God. I'm, I'm going away that God doesn't approve of and the wages of sin is death. I mean, you can't go on without having that change of mind. God says, Paul preached for people to change their mind about their sin and their condition and then turn to the cure. Turn to Jesus Christ. Find the one who gives you help and the one that can save you. That's the two prongs of Paul's ministry. But can I ask you something? Why bother preaching if there is no hope? If Jesus Christ didn't die for all men, what is the point? <laughs> I mean, when I, we go out and preach at the fair, am I supposed to guess who's in the club? <laughs> you know, I'm supposed to guess? Just, I hope you're in. I'm going to preach to you, but I, I, if you're not in, it's in vain. You know, uh, Right? Think about it. Just bring it down to a practical level. I mean, why provoke anyone to repent if God has already fixed what everyone's going to do? How can my preaching be genuine? How can I stand up there at a fair or a street corner or on a Sunday morning and say, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved if I know God didn't, might not have died for you? You see how crazy that is? You see the problem that is? No, Jesus is the Savior of all men. Why would God provoke and command all men to repent if he doesn't want all men to be saved? Right? Isn't that a blessing? He wants all men to be saved. Listen. Ordering all men to do something they can't do is like ordering a legless man to run a marathon. 
Guy's got no legs. Run that marathon. You don't run that marathon. I'm going to judge you. I got no legs. You're going to run them. It's absurd. It's cruel. It's twisted. It's like whacked out that you would order somebody to do something that they can't do, that you've already determined they could never do, and you didn't even give them the help to do it. Go to Romans chapter 5. I know you're a little quiet this morning. You're like, where is he going with this? What's happening? All right. I got nothing happened. They just it's what's in the text. <laughs> Romans chapter 5. Let's look at verse 12. Romans 5.12. Look at the Bible says here. Romans 5.12. Right? <clears throat> Wherefore, as by one man, Romans 5.12, I'll let you get there. Romans 5.12. <clears throat> Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. Jump to verse 18. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. He's saying Adam's offense came upon all men to condemnation because Adam sinned, That sin nature was passed upon you, and all are guilty. All are doomed. I hate to tell you that, right? You're doomed. If you're not saved, you're doomed. You're on a bus that's headed off a cliff. I know the ride must be nice. It's air-conditioned. They bring you drinks. There's food. I know it's wonderful. You know, you see great sights as you're passing, but you're on a bus. The engine's on fire, and you're headed towards a precipice. You're going to fall off and die and perish. God says, because Adam is the driver of that bus, you are headed towards destruction. Adam took the wheel, and he just led you the wrong direction. You're in, Adam. You're condemned. But then he says in verse 18, in the same way one man screwed everybody up, One man made a way for everybody to be saved. You see the parallel? One man messed it up. One man can get you out. See, in the same way, Jesus Christ's cross came upon all men to justification. Now all men who were condemned, all men can have hope. All men can be saved. All men can be delivered. Can I ask you another question? How many men are born with a sin nature because of the first Adam? All men, right? All men were born with a sin nature except for Jesus Christ because he was a virgin-born son of God. But all men, right, including your grandma, including me, right, including the big guys on TV, they're all born with a sin nature. Their farts smell just like yours, okay? They're all born with a sin nature. Can I make it any plainer for you? I thought I'd I'd take a whiff of that, okay? You you smell that one? Okay, right? They all stink, they sweat like you, they, they sin like you, they, they could put on vestments and robes and look so pious, drop a paint can on their foot and slam their little toe into the dresser in the morning, I bet words come out of their mouth that would make your eyebrows raise, right? Even though they look so beautiful and arrayed and decked with jewels, guess what? They stink just like you, and when their body goes in the box, it rots and the worms go in and out of it just like your body will go in the box and the worms go in and out. You know why? Because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That's not hate. That's truth. (laughs) That's just the plain truth that the world can't stand. But you know what God says? My son can fix it. One man screwed it up. One man can save you, right? All men are born with a sin nature. How many men can be saved because of the second Adam? All men, right? All are born with a sin nature, and all can be saved because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, I know, I know, I know. 
you had no choice in Adam's transgression. You weren't there, right? You didn't take the fruit yourself or do that yourself, but you still got born with Adam's image. You were still stuck with Adam's image, even though you weren't the one in the garden that did the dastardly deed. But you know what God did? Because God is just. You know what he did in Christ? In Christ, God took the fall for Adam. God said, I'm going to take that sin upon myself, that blight upon myself, that transgression upon myself and give you a free pass if you want it. God says, I'll take the fall for Adam and give you, here it comes, ready, a choice. You can choose life. You can choose Jesus Christ today. Just like Adam had a choice, you have a choice And the fact that you still make excuses for why you've never come to Jesus Christ shows that you would have been sucking on that grape in the Garden of Eden just like Adam, right? Because he's given you a choice just like he gave them a choice. It's all about that choice. Do you want him or do you not want him? What? Just think about this. What kind of a sick, twisted God would condemn a man before he's born with no hope of escape? That's twisted, man. I have a hard time singing those hymns to a God that would give some people no hope of escape. I got a hard time singing, uh, oh, what a savior that he died for me if I wasn't sure if he died for me, right? That's a, that's a weird situation you find yourself in, man. I mean, think about this. If I drop you in a pit, you're like 50 feet in the ground or something like that, right? You're stuck in a hole. And I lower the rope 30 feet above your head so you can't reach it. How can I condemn you for not getting out of the pit? I dropped you in the pit and I put the rope 30 feet above your head. You can't jump, you can't climb. And I'm like, you better take the rope. You got to be saved. You didn't, your hope doesn't reach me. How can you condemn me if your hope never reached me? It's twisted to think God's like that. It's perverted to think God's like that. It's unbiblical to think God is like that. Now, no matter what word you dress it up with, it's twisted, it's sick, it's crazy. What love is this? If God so loved the world, if his hope was never intended to reach you, and yet he'll judge you for not reaching his hope? Cuckoo, cuckoo, right? Somebody is not upstairs to think that way. It's crazy, right? Look, I've been to Sloan Kettering way too much over the last year. You know, I sit in the, the... He's sitting in the lobby of Sloan Kettering. And uh, my son's got to go back for his one-month checkup. Uh, it's, good, it's good to not have been back for a month, right, son? Right? Amen. But you know what? We sit there, and you know what you see? You see carriages come in with a little foot sticking out, not even six months old, already bald, already, like, you know, treated for that stuff. Kids that are innocent, man. Kids that are under two years old, innocent. Innocent as the white snow when it falls. Didn't even know what an evil thought. I know they got a sin nature, but they're still innocent. And they come wheeling in like that. Can I tell you something? If I had the cure for cancer and I didn't offer it to those infants at Sloan, I'd be a monster. I'd be a monster. You should run away from me. Well, can I tell you? If Jesus Christ defeated death and didn't offer life, To everyone born in sin, how could anyone worship him? How could anyone adore him? How could anyone pay homage to him when we were born in sin and he wouldn't give me hope? That's not my God. 
That's not my Bible. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 2. You know what I'm admonishing you to do, saints? You know what I'm admonishing you to do today? Learn your Bibles. Don't be seduced. Don't be seduced by false teachers out there. You got to know your Bible. So if I'm a false teacher, you could peg me to the wall. So you can come and nail me with something I said wrong. You know? It's funny. The people that leave, they never leave because of the Bible. The people that like want to accuse you of things and they, they, they don't want to open the Bible and talk about it. You know, we had somebody that's, uh, that, that, that took off a while ago because of this thought. And I said, you want to sit down and study it together? No, no, you're not going to convince me. <laughs> right. Well then, thanks for showing your cards, right? I could tell you're not interested in the truth. Hey, if somebody sat down and you said something from the Bible, let's look at the references together. Let's look what the Bible says, rightly divided, right? Not just your one pet verse that you pull out of context. Let's look at a whole bunch of scripture, compare scripture with scripture. Let's see. I'm not afraid of the truth, are you? Hey, if we're wrong on something, I'll, admi- I'll acknowledge it from this pulpit and say, you know, I was wrong about something. I have to correct it. No harm, no foul. Right? The truth shall make you free, right? The truth is liberating if you want it. But if you got an agenda, the truth is your enemy. And you like manipulate things and you purport to tell the truth, but you're not really telling the truth. You're just telling your idea. And in 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to show you that God wants all men to be saved. You know, that's why we go to the fairs. That's why we try to support missionaries. That's why we go stand out on the street when people laugh at us and honk at us and say, what are you doing? Right? That's why we encourage you to take tracks. That's why we had a witnessing class earlier this year. Right? That's why we did these things. Why? Why? Because God wants your husbands and your wives and your friends and your children, and your cousins, and your neighbors. He wants them to be saved, right? He wants, to, he wants them to be born again. He wants them to know their sins are washed away by his blood and their names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Why are we doing all of this if God has already selected the club that's going to make it in? What's the point of going into the world and preaching the gospel to every creature if God didn't die for every creature? doesn't make any sense. No. Celebrate it today. Enjoy it today. Jesus is the Savior of all men. He's a great Savior. He's a great Savior. He's a great Savior. Look at 1 Timothy 2, verse 1. 1 Timothy 2, 1. Ready? I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. See, God wants prayer to be made for all men. Interesting. Interesting. Let's follow the thought. Let's keep going now. All right. Verse 2. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. That tells me there that all really means all. Not just the members of the special club. Not just you guys sitting in church. He says even the people that are trying to throw you in jail. Even the people making laws to lock you up. Even the people that hate your Bible and want to get it banished from the public square. He goes, I want you to pray for them too. Even them. That's an interesting thing. Why? Verse 3. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. He's saying this is what God wants. I want you to send some help from above for all men. I want you to intercede for all men. I want you to petition heaven on behalf of all men. Why? I'll give you verse 4 is why. Because God, verse 4, will have all men to be saved. 
That's a Bible word for going to heaven, having your sins forgiven, having your name in the book of life. It's not a church denomination. It's a Bible designation. It means God says, you're forgiven of your sin and I've granted you everlasting life. God wants, will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Don't you? Don't you want to see other people get saved? If you're saved and the Holy Spirit resides inside of you and you see those masses of people walking at the fair, maybe, doesn't something in you want to... If you're walking with God, now if you're not walking with God and you haven't read your Bible since, you know, before the pandemic or something like that, you know, if that's you, then I don't know if you really care about anybody but yourself. But if you're somebody that's like walking with God a little bit and that Holy Spirit's inside of you, you got to look at the lost world around you and be like, man... I hope somebody gets saved. You walk through the grocery store and you're just like, Lord, save the people in this grocery store. You, you know, you get that track out and you, know, you, you hand it to that cashier or you hand it to that guy at the fair. Doesn't something inside you smile when they take it? And doesn't something inside you groan when they give you the hand? We have some people at the fair. Oh, I was like, it's okay. It's not going to bite you. You know, they're just like, oh, you know, doesn't that just grieve you? You know what? Because the Spirit of God in you is trying to draw all men to Jesus Christ, draw all men to the Savior, wants all men to be saved. And when you're doing that work, you know what God does? Big smiley face emoji. (laughs) That's good. When somebody rebuffs you or somebody says, get out of here with that stuff, or says, no, I'm not interested, and you see that apathy where they couldn't care less, you know what that does? You get that sad emoji come across your soul. Right? Because the Lord wants all men to be saved. Verse 5. Look, the Bible says there's joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner that repenteth. You know, when those two young boys, I'm going I'm to embarrass myself, when those two young boys called on the Lord last night at the fair, you know what was going on in heaven? Woo! Yeah! You know, they were, you know, I know who was jumping up and down like that? Your God was excited like that. The angels were like, what is all the fuss about? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's excited because why? Another name written in the book of life. Another name written down in glory because <laughs> he wants all men to be saved. Look at verse five. For there is one God and one mediator, go between, between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. That's why Jesus Christ offered to stand in the gap between God and men, meaning all men, right? He's saying God and all people. Jesus Christ was lifted up on that cross between heaven and earth to be that mediator between God and everybody down below. That's why he did. Verse six, in case you still didn't get it and you're in the slow class, he says, here's, I'm going to put verse six in there again for you. Who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. That's why Jesus Christ died on the cross for all men, even the worst among you. Let me bother your self-righteousness. You know, Jesus Christ died for Adolf Hitler. Jesus Christ died for some political people that you feel are like Adolf Hitler, right? He, He died for all men. That is a great great savior. That was an amazing ransom. That was an awesome sacrifice. You wouldn't do it. Bible says scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a savior. Amen. Now, 
I say all that, you know, I could say all that to somebody, I'm going to get the rebuttal. You, know what the re- you want to know what the rebuttal is? Pat, you're so stupid. You just don't know the doctrines of grace. You're so dumb, Pat. Let me teach you something. All doesn't mean all. All right? All really means all of the special group. All really means all of the elect. All really means all of the ones God picked in eternity past to be saved. Because you're so dumb, Pat. You just can't read. Silly you. You thought when God wrote all, he meant all. You needed a scholar like me to really fill you in. You can't read those three-letter words. I know they're tough, right? You know, forget can I, tell you, can I give you three problems with that unbiblical reasoning? I'll give you three problems with that unbiblical reasoning. Problem number one, if you're taking notes. Problem number one. First, got to change the word of God to make your doctrine fit. That's a problem. That's a no-no. I heard this illustration. You ever put like a, a toy together for your kids at Christmas? And sometimes you got pieces left over? <laughs> and you're like, I don't know, do I need those pieces? You probably didn't put it together right if you got pieces left over. And if your doctrine, your theory has got pieces left over, verses that don't fit, things that don't line up, guess what? There's something wrong with the way you put that whole thing together. It doesn't work. And if you've got to change all to not mean all to make your doctrine fit, you got a problem. That's a no-no. That's problem number one. Let me give you a problem number two. Second, you got to violate the revealed word of God to make your doctrine fit. That's another no-no. Look at John. Go back to John chapter 12. Some of you got a lot of no-nos. Let me give you a... All right, John chapter 12. Let me go back. John chapter 12. Ah, the Bible. Ah, the unsearchable riches of a King James Bible. How unsearchable are his ways, right? Nothing like a Bible to clear up a college education, somebody said, right? Look at John chapter 12, verse 32. And I went to college, all right? I was on the dean's list. I speak as a fool, right? I, you know, went to, I did my graduate school. I had a 4.0 in graduate school. So don't tell me, okay? I've read the books. Don't tell me. I got them, right? Never man spake like this man, right? Never man spake like this man. I read every single Shakespeare play one semester out loud for a final exam. You know what? I don't read them again. This one, I read over and over and over again. You know what? Every time you come around another pass, you see something different. You know why? Because this is alive. This wasn't written by some dead guy who's worm food somewhere. This is written by the living God. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know what the Bible says? John 12, 32 to 33. The Bible says, Jesus speaking again. I just want to look at it again. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. So being lifted up is clearly an allusion to the cross, right? There's nothing sneaky I'm pulling there, right? It's clearly the cross he's talking about. Let's go to John chapter three. Let's look at another time he talks about being lifted up. John chapter three. Let's look at verse 14. John 3, 14. And, John 3, 14. And as Moses lifted up, there's the word, the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, there's the cross, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, right there, Jesus said his death would be the same as Moses, 
lifting up the serpent in the wilderness, right? He's going to be lifted up as a curse like that serpent was lifted up as a curse. Now, the key of this whole thing is in John 3.15. Who is that whosoever, right? That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. Who is that whosoever? You know what I think we should do? I think we should, I think we should see what the Bible says. You think that's a good idea? Let's go, let's, see what, let's go find the story of Moses lifting up the serpent, and let's find out who that whosoever is. And let's see if we go to Numbers 21, if that whosoever challenges or confirms that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men. Go to Numbers chapter 21, and let's read the account, shall we? And you tell me if I'm whistling Dixie. Numbers 21, verse number 6. All right, Numbers 21, 6. Remember, Jesus said whosoever. I'm going to go find out what he's talking about and find out who that whosoever is. Okay, Numbers 21, verse 6. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Ready, here's their salvation plan. Make thee a fiery serpent, and he's going to take brass and fix it into a serpent shape, and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten... When he looketh upon it, shall live. So, so far, Jesus said, whosoever believeth. And over here in Numbers 21, it says, every one that was bitten and looked by faith to that curse lifted up, lived. We okay so far? No limitations so far. I don't see any exceptions or any restrictions. Okay, let's read the next verse, and let's see if the Lord gives us any light. Scripture with Scripture. Numbers 21, verse 9. Then he says, And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Hallelujah. The offer of salvation in that scene was to any man who'd been bitten. That means the whosoever of John chapter 3 is any man in Numbers 21. That tells me if you've been bitten, if the curse is upon you and you look to that cross in faith, you will live, you will live, you will live. Whosoever believeth, any man, everyone. Are you in that group? Are you in that class? Any man. Hey, if the account of Moses has no limitations, why would Jesus Christ be offering a limited atonement in John chapter 3? Right? Jesus never violates his own words. And if the Bible doesn't speak of a limited atonement, why would a supposed Bible teacher? Mm, you think about that for a while. <laughs> That's a strange thing, man. Um, here's my, you know, I said there were three problems. You know what my third problem is? This is the one why I get so fiery about this. And you, you indulge me so nicely. You're such dignified people. But you know why the third problem is? You're misrepresenting my God. You are slandering my Savior by saying he didn't die for all men. You are disrespecting his sacrifice and making a mockery of it with your pious garb and your good words and fair speeches, you're deceiving people. And not just deceiving people, you're slandering my Savior. Let me give you an example to show you how 
that should bother you too. Police officer Moira Smith, some of you might know that name. Police officer Moira Smith was the only female officer among the 23 NYPD cops who died on 9-11. Moira Smith was her name. She led countless injured people from the Twin Towers that day. But sadly, in the end, Smith died with so many other heroes in the effort to rescue more. There are parks named after this woman. There are memorials dedicated to this woman. And I say rightfully so, right? I think that's a good thing. Somebody was willing to try to lay down their lives that other people could escape that horrible scene. That's, that is a blessing, this side of heaven. But you know what? Think about this now. Great lady. Don't know if she's in heaven or hell, but on earth, that was a noble deed. But think about this. How would Officer Smith's family feel if I change the story of her sacrifice? What if I taught that the fallen hero Smith didn't really want to save everyone? Would she still be a hero? Wouldn't you think of her a little differently? Well, she didn't really try to save everyone, just the people that she had selected that she thought were worthy to come out of the towers that day. Do you see why it's so important we lift up the Lord Jesus Christ as the Savior of all men? So we represent his sacrifice properly, accurately, and give him the glory he's due. Now go with me to 1 Timothy 1. Let me just give you one more quick point. I will be fast with this one. All right, 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1. So I said God wants all men to be saved. I know that was a little, uh, a lot of studying for you there and some teaching in there for you, even though I wave my arms a lot and spit. But... Um, I was trying to teach you something there. But God wants all men to be saved. Can I get an amen on that? All right. But God will not overpower the will of any man. He will not. Because people say, well, if God wants all men to be saved and God is all powerful, which is true, then why don't all men get saved? Why may some of you walk out of here still unsaved? Because... In this little parenthesis called time. All right, you see all over here? Eternity. All over here? Eternity. And here's this little sliver Amen. called time. And in this little parenthesis called time, the Lord is looking for people who want Him Amen. to be with Him in His kingdom Amen. forever. Don't you want people that want you? Amen. You want to marry somebody that doesn't want you? <laughs> you know? You know? Will you marry me? Oh, I guess so. You know, not a good sign. How about your children? Hey, honey, I'm home. Oh, my goodness, not again. Why don't you have to work overtime today? No. You want people that want you in your family, in your house. Well, God's not very different. And the theme of the Bible is not your salvation. Somebody said that's only like 2% of what the Bible is about. I didn't do the math myself. I'm going to take it on faith. But it's not. It's only a few pages of your Bible is about you getting saved. You know what the theme of the Bible is? The theme of the Bible is about the king and his kingdom. That's what the, that is about. And your salvation gets you in the door to God's much bigger plan going on right now. Now, 1 Timothy 1 verse 15, the Bible says this. He says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, meaning everybody should get this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Are you a sinner? 
Well, then Jesus Christ is your Savior. To save sinners, ever told a lie? Ever disobeyed your parents? Ever taken something that's not yours? Ever looked at somebody with lust? Ever had anger in your heart? Ever coveted something God didn't want for you? Ever not told the truth? Ever put something ahead of God? Ever made God in your own image? Ever used God's word as a curse word? Ever done all those things that God said don't do? Guess what? Join the club. You're a sinner. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy? That in me first, Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. Now unto the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. You know what the good news is in that passage? The King died on the cross so you could be with him in his kingdom. The King died on the cross. So you could be with him in his kingdom. And if the king of glory and the king of heaven and the king of earth hung on that cross, how could you limit the power of his blood? How could you say it doesn't reach everyone? How could you see it's not strong enough to save the chiefest of sinners? The only condition to being part of God's kingdom is your choice now. Amen. Will you receive him? Will you take him? Will you trust him? You see, the entire Bible, brethren, the entire Bible is about God giving man a choice to choose God's way or the devil's ways. The whole Bible is about that. Every dispensation, there's different conditions, but it's all about ultimately, will you choose God or will you not choose God? Genesis chapter 2, the first man, God gave the first man a choice. Choose my way and live or choose your ways and die. It was that, go to Deuteronomy chapter 30. I'm going to show you, that's what this whole Bible's about. It started with the first man, and can I tell you, if you're sitting here today and you're a, you're a human being, if you're not a human being, I'll be over in a little bit. You can go back to plug it into the wall. But if you're a human being listening to me today, you've got a soul and you've got a choice. And in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, you're going to see throughout the Bible, the Lord still gives all men a choice. That doesn't make God weak. That makes him wise. And he says in Deuteronomy 30, verse 11, For this commandment which I command thee this day, it is not hidden from thee, neither is it afar off. It is not in heaven that thou shouldest say, Who shall go up for us to heaven and bring it unto us that we may hear it and do it? Neither is it beyond the sea, right? That thou shouldest say, Who shall go over the sea for us and bring it unto us that we may hear it? But the word is very nigh unto thee in thy mouth and in thy heart, that thou mayest do it. God says, I didn't put it high. I put these cookies right here on the, show, on the plate that you could all get. Now look at verse number 19 of the chapter. The Lord says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. You see, the Lord still gives man a choice. Life or death? God's way or your way? What are you going to pick? Look at verse, go to Romans. Go to Romans chapter 10. Thousands of years would pass. God would change his dispensations. He'd move us out of the law and into this age of grace. And even though 
God administers his grace differently now. He does it through the gospel of Jesus Christ, not through the keeping of the law and enduring and all that stuff. You know what? The same parameters apply. You got to choose God's way or your way. Romans chapter 10, Paul picks up on what Moses just wrote. We just read it. Verse 5, Romans 10, 5. For Moses describeth the righteousness which is of the law, that the man which doeth those things shall live by them. So in the Old Testament, you had some doing to do. You had to keep those promises. You had to endure in those commandments. But now he says in verse 6, But the righteousness which is of faith speaketh on this wise. Say not in thine heart who shall ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who shall descend into the deep, that is to bring up Christ again from the dead. But what saith it? The word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. He's saying just like Moses said the word wasn't far away, it's not far away now. It's right here in front of you now. That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... And shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Verse 11, for the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto All that call upon him, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How you've got a choice. The same choice that was offered back there is offered to all men now through the gospel. The gospel is God's call to man to come in and be saved and join his kingdom. Hebrews tells us that Jesus Christ tasted death for every man. But every man must choose. What's your choice? What's your choice? What's your choice? God wants to know what's your choice. It's a choice. Now go to Luke chapter 13. I got just three stops left. Luke chapter 13. I'm going to hurry. You hurry with me. Luke 13. Luke 13. You say, man, that's pretty plain. Yeah, it's that plain. You want to go to heaven? Trust Jesus Christ. You want to go to hell? Trust something else. It's your choice. Look at um, Luke 13, 34. Here's Jesus standing over Jerusalem, right? He came to try to help that nation and save that nation and bring that nation into God's kingdom and God's promises. And he stands up there in Luke 13, 34 and says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, which killest the prophets, And stonest them that are sent unto thee. How often would I have gathered thy children together, as a hen doth gather her brood under her wings, and ye would not. See, what are they doing there? They're resisting God's will. He said, I came here and I wanted to be your savior, O Israel. I wanted to gather you together and be like a great eagle and you'd be my little chickadees under my wing and I'd lead you into the promised land like I led you on eagle's wings in the desert of past. He said, I was going to do that for you, but you didn't want me. You rejected me. And he's over there grieving over Jerusalem. Why? Because even though God wants to save, God wants man to choose him willingly. You've got to choose me. You've got to want me. You've got to accept me. You've got to receive me. That's your will, and I'm not going to overpower that will. 
I want you to be saved so bad that he's looking over Jerusalem. In some spots, he must have wept because they said, some people think you're Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, I would have done this for you, but you didn't want me. You think man doesn't have a will? Go to Acts chapter 7. Look at this. Go to Acts chapter 7. What, are we just bumper cars in God's cosmic game? I don't think so. Right? Acts chapter 7. Now the cross has happened. And Israel had another little window there, right? Israel had three strikes. God the Father sent John the Baptist. They cut his head off. Strike one. Then he sends the Son of God, Jesus Christ. They nail him to a cross. Strike three. Strike two. Then he gives them Acts chapter 1 to 7. He gives them all these messages from Peter. And finally, a message from Stephen. The Holy Ghost is now up to bat. And the Holy Ghost is taking a shot to see if he can get Israel to kind of come through and receive Jesus Christ. You know what? They reject the Holy Ghost as admonition as well. And Jesus warned them. You blaspheme the Holy Ghost. It's not going to be forgiven you. You're going to be in trouble if you reject what the Holy Ghost is trying to say to you. And strike three is the Holy Ghost is now trying to get those people to get saved and trust Jesus Christ. And they say, no, no, no. And they stone the preacher. They kill Stephen. And Acts 7.51 is strike three. He says, Stephen preaching through the Holy Spirit's direction, ye stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost, as your fathers did, so do ye. Strike one, you killed John the Baptist. Strike two, you killed my son, but he gave you grace because he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He gave you another pass. And I gave you one more shot. My Holy Spirit sent his preachers and then you stoned my preachers. Strike three, you're out. You do always resist the Holy Ghost. And ever since that cross, guys, the Holy Spirit is trying to draw all men, trying to draw all men, trying to draw all men. But you know what all men can do? They can resist God's drawing. They did it before. They're doing it now. They're still going to do it. He's trying. You know what the big picture of the Bible is? The big picture of the Bible is for God to establish a kingdom of sinless beings like himself that will go on and enjoy the universe forever. That's God's big picture. That's like the river. That river is always going to flow in that direction. That's going to happen. And a river's current will always flow in one direction. And God's direction is to establish a kingdom of sinless beings like himself that he'll enjoy with forever. That's the river. That is God's plan is always flowing in that direction. Now you have a choice. You can go with the flow or you could fight against it. But the river is flowing in that direction, guys. You know what Jesus had his disciples pray? Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. God's kingdom is coming. It is coming. It is coming. It is coming. The river is flowing in that direction from eternity past. It's going to run in that direction till eternity future. And God's plan is going to keep on running. You have a choice. You can, uh, you can receive God's atonement and enjoy the ride. Or you can resist and perish. You can't change God's will. God's will is for that kingdom to come. And that river is going to keep on flowing. And you could get on board and go with it and enjoy Jesus Christ forever and all he has for you and all the work he has for you and all the riches he has for you and just be like sitting on that tube, gunning down that clear water and enjoying the sunshine of God's favor. Or you could keep trying to swim upstream until the current sucks you under and you go to hell. That is your choice, man. It's your choice. Go to 2 Thessalonians. Let me end here. 2 Thessalonians. 
here and then one conclusion verse. Second Thessalonians 2, you say, well, man, that seems so plain. <laughs> yeah, I would think so. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. I mean, if Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men, why don't all men believe on Jesus Christ? Why don't all men get saved then? Well, I'm going to give you the answer. And now I'm going to challenge you. Are you saved? Look at this, verse 1 and 2. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. He's praying that the word of God would find some good soil and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith. See, not everybody's going to trust God. Not everybody's going to believe God. You say, why not? You see verse 2? I'll give you the first reason. Because some men are just unreasonable. They're illogical. They're not sensible. They're foolish. That's what God calls somebody that won't trust Christ. You're being unreasonable. What does God say in the Old Testament? Hey, come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be uh, as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God says, it's not reasonable for you to pay for your own sins. It's not reasonable for you to go to hell. I died for that. Can we just, can we just reason together? Can God just have a moment of your attentions? He's saying, it's not reasonable. And the Holy Spirit tries to strive with sinful men. says, God, look at yourself. Look at yourself. Ten out of ten people die. The wages of sin is death. Why is this happening? Why is the world like this? Why are you like this? Why can't you get victory? Why do you have no power to change your life? What's going on? God says, it's sin. You see, sin is in your members. It's taking you to hell. You see that cross that everybody talks about? See how it's 2022, right? It's all dated from that cross. All of history hangs on that cross, the Bible, all the predictions have come true. He's reasoning with you. The Holy Spirit's reasoning with you. He's saying, you know, he's the one you got to trust. Not Rabbi Wexman or Father McGillicuddy or, you know, the imam down the street. He goes, he's the one that rose again from the dead, right? Come on. He's the one that defeated death. I think he's the one that you should trust. The Holy Spirit's reasoning. He's knocking on your heart right now. It would be unreasonable for you to say, oh, that was nice. Thanks. Just walk on down the road. He's got the holes in his hands, the holes in his feet, the marks on his brow. And you're just going to say, yeah, he was a a good man. That was nice. Thank you. God says, that's not reasonable. If Jesus Christ only wants the best for you, isn't it absurd to keep resisting him? Because he's not going to strive with you forever. One day the clock's going to hit the the time on his calendar. He's going to say, okay, that kingdom's going to have to roll in. And that thing's going to roll in. That current's going to roll in. And it's either going to take you with it or take you under And I want to be going with God. I don't want to be against God, right? Look, if you had a fatal disease and I offered you the cure, does it make sense to reject me? When the doctor sat down last year and said, you know, we got this over 90%, you know, cure rate, you know, oh no, that's okay. I'll just have him smoke pot. You know, no, I don't think so, right? No, I'm going to do, I'm going to, that makes a lot of sense. That was reasonable. No, I'm, that's a reasonable thing. I'm gonna, that's a reasonable, that's a precious life to me. I'm going to do the reasonable thing. Is your life precious? Is your soul precious? You like life? You like being alive? It's not reasonable to reject Jesus Christ. But you know what else? He, he puts another word with unreasonable. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. See, some men don't have faith. Because they're unreasonable. You know why they're so unreasonable? Because they're wicked. 
because they're wicked. And Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men, but some men love their sin and love themselves too much to trust Jesus Christ. And that's why they won't believe. And that's why they won't take the track. And that's why they won't ask Jesus Christ to save them because they are their own God and they don't want anybody else running the show but themselves. God nails them to the wall. He says, you know why all men don't have faith? They're unreasonable and they're wicked. Those are God's words, not mine. You see, it is unreasonable that all men get, don't get saved, but it's not unexplainable. I know why. Because people love their sin more than the Savior. People like where they're at more than God. People would rather choose their way than God's way because they love their sin so much. They're enjoying it so much. They just don't want to think of anything else but what they've got in front of them right now. God says that's wicked, and you're wicked. That's why those people that reject him will go to hell with the wicked. Go to 1 Timothy 4, just to the, just to the left a touch. To the right a touch, I'm sorry. 1 Timothy 4. Right there, 1 Timothy 4, 9. I hope this made some sense to you today. Appreciate your attention. I'm wrapping up here. I'm done. 1 Timothy 4, 9. If we needed just one more nail in the coffin of this crazy idea, here it is. 1 Timothy 4, 9. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach. We're trying to get this gospel out and some people are going to hate us for it. Because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, especially of those that believe. See, Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men, whether you accept him or not, but he becomes special when you believe. He becomes different when you believe. Something about this gospel becomes more precious when you finally put your faith in it. Will you do that today? False teachers may spread their ideas out there, but those ideas are not in here. They're just not in here. I know they got a lot of likes and they got a lot of views, but this Bible teaches and says that Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men. And when you make him your Savior, he becomes special. Amen. You know, there was, a, there was once a, a bridge operator who had a young son whom he dearly loved. They were inseparable. The young boy often asked to go with his father to watch him work, to watch him raise and lower the drawbridge, allowing the boats to pass under or the passenger trains to cross over it. One day the father relented and allowed his son to come with him. Stay here at a safe distance, the father warned the boy, while I go and raise the bridge for the coming boat. The boy stayed where his father had left him and watched the bridge as it slowly lifted up in the sky. Suddenly, the boy heard the faint cry of an approaching passenger train coming quite a bit sooner than had been expected. The father, up in the control room, could hear neither the whistle of the train nor the warning cry of his son. The boy saw the train racing closer and closer, and he started to run along the platform to reach his father. Knowing there was a lever he could pull near the operating gears of the bridge, the boy ran to the door in the platform and tried to lower himself down to reach the leather but lever, but losing his balance, he fell into where the gears came together and was caught. At the same time, the father saw his son fall down into the hole in the platform. He saw the fast-approaching train. In horror, he realized that if he didn't start lowering the drawbridge immediately, it would, be, it would not be down in time for the train to pass safely. The train would crash into the river below, killing hundreds of people. The man was faced with an unimaginable dilemma. 
race to save his son at the cost of hundreds of lives, or sacrifice his son to save the passengers on the train. He made the only choice he could. He pulled the lever, lowered the bridge. In spite of the noise of the descending bridge and the oncoming train, he could still hear the anguished screams of his beloved son being crushed to death between the gears of the bridge. The father ran to the platform as the train was passing by. Most people on the train simply ignored the man crying on the platform. Others looked out of the window and stared, totally oblivious of the unspeakable sacrifice that had just been made on their behalf. They gave no other thought or concern to this man who had just given up what was most precious to him so that they could live. The father's son had saved everyone on that train, even though it seemed like no one heard the father's cry. And Jesus Christ is the Savior of all men, even though maybe only a few will listen to the father's cry. Let's stand for prayer.